In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. We go back to the night when Jesus was betrayed, and to the very moment that Judas had gone out in order to do it. Hours later, Judas would greet his master with a kiss, and Jesus would be arrested, falsely charged, and given over to scourging and crucifixion. No sooner does Judas leave, no sooner is the betrayal set in motion, and Jesus speaks, surprisingly, of glory. Now is the Son of Man glorified, he says. The way that Jesus speaks and spoke of glory becomes a major theme in the Gospel of John. If you've ever spent any time in the Gospel of John, you know that it is a work of art, a literary and theological masterpiece. What the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, do in a rather straightforward way, John does in a hidden and artistic way. For example, in John's Gospel, there's no account of the glorious transfiguration, of Jesus praying on the mount, his garments suddenly become white as light, his face suddenly shining as the sun, the Father's voice booming, this is my beloved Son. It's not that John simply forgot or left out this glorious account without thinking. Rather, It's that John wants to show us an entirely different way of thinking about glory. God reveals his glory to us, not merely in obvious and manifest ways. God also reveals his glory to us in the most surprising and counterintuitive of all ways, in the cross. So no sooner does Judas go out to betray Jesus, and Jesus says, now, is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. What does this mean? It means that in the scourged flesh, in the nail-pierced hands, in the crown of thorns, we behold the glory of God. And God is glorified in this very thing, in Christ the crucified. It's a strange kind of glory. In Christ the crucified, we see a different kind of glory, a glory that is like peering into the very heart of God. And there we see his love, love divine, all loves excelling. And that's a good enough reason to have a crucifix and to not let anyone ever take it from you. Because John would have us see that in the crucifixion of all places, we see the manifestation of God's glory, and specifically, the glory of his love, his love that is greater than all others. In his epistle, John would write, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not 
that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he loved us without cause, without merit, without us earning it. In fact, contrary to what we may think, there is nothing lovable in us. The scriptures put it this way. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. John had it exactly right. Not that we have loved him but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. While we were still his enemies, while we were still fleeing from him in the hatred of our hearts, he drew near to us and took our sins from us. All the while he bore our jeers, our blows, our spit, but how he loved us, enduring all, so that he might cleanse us with his own blood and lay down his own life to win eternal life for us. Not that we have loved him, but that he loved us. And what wondrous love, what glorious love this is. And that is what John wants us to see, that the glory of God is his own selfless love for sinners. This glory of God can be seen, felt, experienced, and known in no other way. Only the cross will show it. Only the word and sacraments will give it. And only Jesus could do it. No one else. So he says to his disciples, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, I now say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Again, Jesus is going to the cross, and what Jesus does on the cross, no other is able to do. And so what Jesus says next is clearly connected with his cross and cannot be understood apart from his cross. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. With these words, Jesus connects his love for us on the cross with our love for one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. What words come to mind when we think of how it is that Christ has loved us? Selfless, self-sacrificing, committed, forgiving, and no doubt there are many others. Just as I have loved you, Christ says, you also are to love one another. The one who did all things for you has something for you to do. 
And of course, this isn't at all contrary to the gospel or contrary to grace. After all, if anyone understands the gospel, if anyone understands grace, it's Christ. And it is Christ, the one who did all things for us, who now gives us something to do, to love one another as he has loved us. And this, not only for our sakes, not only for the sakes of those whom we will love in this way, but also for the sake of all people. As Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How terribly we fall short. This is true. In and of itself, the word love is the most beautiful and comforting of all words. But on account of our sinful nature, on account of our sins, on account of our failures, we often perceive love to be the most terrifying and sorrowful word in all of Scripture and all of life. God is love, and I am not. The sinful nature that remains in me lives as if God did not matter and as if I mattered most. I have not let his love have its way with me, and so my love for others has failed. The terror and the sorrow of love is that it shows sinners exactly what we are not. When marriages go on the rocks or break apart, it is love that points out the failure. You did not love your spouse as Christ has loved you. The terrible pain of divorce is knowing where you fell short of love and experiencing firsthand where your spouse fell short of love. When there is family strife and the bond between parents and child are broken, it is love that points out the failure. As in marriages, so also in parenting. We try our best, we do all that we can, we push ourselves to mental and physical exhaustion, only to have love say, quite rightly, yes, but there were many ways that you did not fulfill my precepts. There were many ways that you lacked. And so too for children. It is love that comes to us, often later in life, and makes us see just how loveless we were toward our own parents. How little we honored them for their sacrifices. How skewed and selfish our judgment of them. Love quite rightly says, Yes, they hurt you and failed you, but did you not love them enough to forgive them? It is love that shows us precisely where we fall short, and that is also why it hurts so much. And no wonder, as St. Paul writes, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. As we fail at the law, so we fail at love. And if you want to see this quite specifically, just insert your own name in place of the word love and see how you stack up. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It dishonors. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record 
of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Indeed, as John wrote, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And in this way God loved us. He gave his only begotten Son. Only Jesus could and did love in the way that God requires. And his perfect love and his perfect fulfillment of the law, he credits to each one of us as a free gift, entirely apart from our works, by grace, through faith. And he loved us, too, in a way that staggers the imagination and humbles the heart. He so loved us that he was willing to have all our sins laid on him. He so loved us that he was willing to become our sins for us and take the fall. He so loved us that the record of our debt would be nailed to the cross in his own flesh and put away forever. That our names would be stricken from the rolls of hell and written into the book of life with the ink of his own precious blood. God so loved the world. In this way, God loved the world. In this, the love of God is made manifest. In Jesus. In Jesus who lived for you. In Jesus who died for you. In the glorious love of God revealed on the cross. And this is why when Christ says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, we must never separate this commandment from the cross, from the glorious love of God revealed on the cross. He commands that the very love and forgiveness that flow from his cross to us, flow from us to others. And where we fail, it is the very love and forgiveness of the cross that blot out our sins, created us clean hearts, and caused love and forgiveness to flow forth from us once more where we have failed to be selfless, self-sacrificing, committed, and forgiven and forgiving. He heals us with his own perfect love and makes us into people after his own heart. We love and love again because he first loved us. We forgive and forgive again because he has forgiven us. We welcome and comfort and heal because these are the very things that he does for us, especially when he calls us to his table to receive in our very mouths and in our very souls his love poured out from the cross to us. And so it is, in fact, a perpetually new commandment that he gives. Because as often as we receive his love and forgiveness anew, we are again empowered to live out his love and forgiveness to one another. What a joy this is, to be a new creation even now, even if only in great weakness. We have been given to share in this strange glory, the strange glory of the cross, to love others as Jesus has loved us, to deny ourselves for others, sacrifice ourselves for others, 
and lay down our lives in loving commitment to others, to forgive others freely and fully, to have our broken hearts healed that we might heal one another, to love again and to love all the more because Jesus has so loved us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.